Hello, welcome to the Evolving Spiritual Practice Podcast. My name is Ralph Cree, and this is brought to you in association with bodyheartmindspirit.co.uk. In this episode, I talked to Trilby Fairfax about voice dialogue, which is a uh, technique that uh, comes from uh, you know, psychology and also spiritual practice um, of exploring the different sub-personalities, which uh, is called voices in this voice dialogue work, um, and where you, with a facilitator, you are helped to explore uh, the different sub-personalities that make up who you are. Um, and uh, it's a transformational technique in the sense that it enables you to have a wider palette of colors to meet life with. Um, the palette of colors being the different aspects of yourself that you're become ever more uh, freely able to move around and inhabit and without becoming um, obsessed with or overly identified with any one of them. Uh, Trilby and her husband, Peter, have been working for many decades with uh, voice dialogue work and uh, they've trained with Helen Sidrastone, who were uh, the couple that invented this work um, and uh, I've done some training with them which I thought was amazing and uh, really changed my life so this um, you have to excuse my voice I've just recovered from a cold so uh, my voice sounds a bit croaky uh, and uh, the internet connection wasn't great on Trilby's side of things um, and also we didn't have very long so this is part one I mean it's a great conversation the the contents um, really really good and uh, I, you know I, I very much enjoyed the conversation uh, this is going to be part one because uh, there's a lot more um, that I hope to explore which will be and we're going to book in a part two um, to do so uh, I um, yeah we'll leave you with um, Trilby Fairfax Trilby Fairfax, uh, welcome to the Evolving Spiritual Practice podcast. Hello. Uh, it, hello. <laughs> it's lovely to have you here. And uh, apologies for my uh, the sound of my voice. I've just finished the cold, so uh, I don't don't have my my smooth um, podcast voice on at the moment. Um, I can't hear the the difference, so don't uh, worry about it. Okay. Um, so. We are going to talk about voice dialogue, which um, I'll let you explain what that is. But I'll just, um, for those listening, say how I met you uh, to begin with. And, um, and then maybe you could say a little bit about what voice, voice dialogue is and how you came to get into that work. Um, so um, I met you originally, so I think, uh, nearly 20 years ago I got into something called the big mind process which was a, a kind of a, a zen uh, process developed by uh, a, a, an American Roshi called Genpo Roshi mm -hmm. um, a bit of a controversial figure you know has had some personal 
problems, but created this really fantastic process, um, which was about working with different sub-personalities. And I then discovered that there was a psychological technique, which was a kind of, was the parent of this big mind process called voice dialogue, uh, developed by a couple called Hal and Sidra Stone. So I was like, oh, I've got to find out about this, got onto the internet and lo and behold, just down the road from where I live, I found you and your husband, Peter, were, had been tr done training with Helen Sidrastone and were delivering trainings in voice dialogue. Uh, so I had a, I've had, I think, four private voice dialogue sessions with you and, and Peter. And then I've also done three residential weekends at your house with a, a group of people yes. as part of a training. So that's just a little bit of, uh, history about how I met you um, and um, yeah please could you say how you perhaps what start with saying what voice, voice dialogue is and then how you got into the work yeah. thanks voice dialogue um, Helen Cedar Stone developed voice dialogue in the 80s and after a while they started calling it voice dialogue and the psychology of selves and that's actually a very good way of describing it because it's the psychology of selves, the different selves we have in, inside us, the, the parts of us. And the, the method is voice dialogue. So you take time to dialogue with the different parts or voices or energies or selves. There's lots of different words to describe what is actually um, defined as a sub-personality, but I, I think that's rather a, um, a high threshold word. I, I like to call it a voice or a part or a self. And these, we, we all have these different tendencies or parts inside us. It's, I mean, the, the example I always use in the beginning to keep it quite low threshold for any, any audience would be something like if you're deciding whether you can afford to buy that um, computer or that uh, skirt or that whatever it is you want to buy and it's more expensive than you budgeted and you're having this debate within yourself or well, shall I do it or shall I not do it and immediately different parts of yourself are coming into play or if you're wondering about this new person you've met and you're thinking well hmm, I did like him or her extraordinarily and yet there's another part cautioning you to hold back because there was something about the conversation so as soon as you've got something like that going on inside yourself we're talking about the different selves the different parts and voice dialogue is the method which helps us to dialogue with the different parts and the unique thing about Hal and Cedra's work because there are other methods that use parts work but Hal and Cedra developed this amazing sort of extra dimension to the work, which is the using the state of awareness. They talk about three states of consciousness. And the third one, actually they call it the first one, but it's the third one in the work, um, is awareness. And that's where it links into meditation because awareness is that pure state. Um, we call it witnessing also in voice dialogue. We actually, when we do a voice dialogue session, so if I'm working with you, uh, Ralph, and, I invite, and you, I invite you to name a dilemma, and let's say it's about 
one of your children and whether you feel you were a bit too hard on him or not. I'm just making something up, okay? And there's different parts of you and you're exploring that in a session and then towards the end, um, I ask you to be in the middle position. So we ask you to actually move into different parts, so slightly shift or lean into a different position, coming back to what we call the middle position, which is what we call the aware ego process. I'll say more about that in a minute. And then we invite somebody to step right out of the whole field, the, the place they've been in literally and come and stand next to the facilitator. That's the name of the person who's facilitating the session. It's the voice dialogue facilitator. And to stand next to that person and just view, witness, letting go of opinions, judgments and um, if opinions it's just like with meditating if they come they can't let just let them come and let them go but don't get attached to them so it's an, a state of non-attachment and viewing and, and witnessing as if you're seeing the film of that process of dialogue that you've been doing for the past hour and this is what i think distinguishes voice dialogue from a lot of different other psychological methods and makes it very special. And when I started to work with voice dialogue, one of the things I came back from the first weekend and I said to Pete, my husband, um, who's very into Tibetan Buddhism and was at that stage as well, I said to him, this is the first time I've worked with a psychological method that actually feels like as though it's, it's Buddhist. It's a Buddhist approach because everything is equally valid and is there. And so all the parts of us that would be disapproved of, like, for instance, um, wanting to hit somebody or um, whatever, we have parts in us, all of us, that are actually not the non-violent, maybe peaceful Buddhist self we would like to present to the world. And yet that part, the inner fascist, that is alive in you. And when you've dialogued with it, you can find out what, what moves it to come to the fore. I, I, I have a particular inner killer that comes to the fore when I listen to yet another Boris Johnson speech. And I just think the simplest thing to do would be to actually maybe maybe do with that's from that part. Eh? Mm. Of course, I wouldn't allow myself to actually act out on it. But from that part, there is... I, I get that murderous feeling sometimes, and that's when I stop. I, I stop the video. Pretty Patel is also one who brings that up. But I don't want to get into politics. Hmm. Um, what I'm trying but, but to say, Abby, but politics is very fertile ground for yes, it's at, very for noticing your trigger points and some perhaps yeah. disown disown cells in oneself, or you know. It, yeah. That and that word disowned is, is really crucial because as I, I don't know how I got myself into talking about having an inner killer, but I think it's quite important because that's a totally something I would disown. I wouldn't want to uh, admit to that. And yet we all have it in principle inside of ourselves and it is mostly disowned. But if you imagine, I think you've got kids, haven't you, Ralph? And yeah. I've, I've got kids. And if you imagine if somebody was coming to hurt one of your kids, what would come out in you? Well, there, there's, I, mean, I was just saying it yesterday to a friend, there's, no, there's nothing I wouldn't do to protect uh, my children. I mean, there literally yes. is nothing. So if, exactly. if, I, if I had to kill somebody to protect my children, yes. 
um i would and and i think um you know that's yeah I, uh, there we go but it's it's a very good example of a polarity, you see, because we work in voice dialogue because everything is accepted. Um, we work with the polarity between the one who would do something extreme like that, and the other side of the polarity would be the one who is attached to nonviolence um, and and peaceful. And it's not about um, giving yourself a green light to act that out in the world. No, it's about the inner exploration of that set of feelings. Mm. And it, it's about experiencing it in yourself. It's, it's, if you read Pema Chodron, I don't know if you know, she's mm -hmm. a Buddhist, um, yeah. Um, she speaks about experiencing emotional distress and that's exactly what voice dialogue is about. You experience an emotion, an extreme feeling, or any state in yourself as an inner experience, not as an acting out. And of course, you might get to talk with a part that wants to act it out, and that part could have all the, the space in the session that you would want to give them. And yet after the session, after that part had spoken, the other side would come through, who yeah. would completely disprove. I think um, just for those people listening, uh, I just want to describe how so if i was if i was in a if i went to see you trilby uh for you to yes. facilitate to facilitate uh a voice dialogue session with me yes. as a facilitator so you know we may have a theme i've brought to you that i'd like to explore yeah. and you know yeah. you would invite me to bring forth the voice of i mean let's say uh if it was shame or something like that and i might yes speak in the first person as shame yes uh, well, and, and you, the, you you would ask me questions yeah. sorry yes. no I'm, I'm sorry i interrupted but it's to make something um clear i would never ask you to become shame i would ask you to move into the part of you that's feeling shame sure yeah yes yeah. because otherwise it's disembodied it's in your body and so yeah. I would dialogue with that part and the part that felt the shame around whatever topic it might be would, would, would say everything they've got to say about that. And that might shift a bit in the process. Mm. And, and you, you also even have in your house lots of chairs that people yes. can actually sit in different chairs and yes. to speak as these different voices yes. in the first person. So you'd be saying, you know, as, as shame, I yes. speaking as the voice of shame. I feel da 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 da, and blah 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 blah. Yes. And and you and I are dialoguing then from that voice, yes. from that voice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then you'd move back to the middle, and then the really interesting part would begin, because Hal was very very. He, he became more and more passionate about the aware ego process, that's the middle position, as being the place where it all happens. So you go into the subpersonality, the part, the voice of shame, you come back to the middle, and then at that point, the facilitator asks you to experience the difference between the part and being in the middle. And we call that disidentification. Because very often we're identified, we are certain parts of ourselves without realizing the sort of primary parts that do things in a certain way. And as soon as you've actually gone into that part, 
as a sub-personality and moved back into the middle, you suddenly have that light bulb moment of awareness. Oh, I'm not that shame. I'm actually Trilby or Ralph. I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle and a part of me, quite a strong part of me, feels shame a lot of the time, and yet I am not that part of myself. So this is where this space, it's like having a, a different coat on. You suddenly take off the coat of shame, you feel a bit of space. Like, oh, I'm not that shame. What's on the other side? Well, there might be something around being secretly proud of something you've made, but not having had the courage to show it to somebody because the voice of shame was so strong. I'm making it up now, but that mm -hmm. would be uh, an example that I would come across. Is that clear? Yeah, yeah. And um, what's really interesting in what you're saying, <clears throat> bringing this in with a uh, line with Tibetan Buddhism and stuff, is that a lot of the critique spiritual practitioners have of psychological work is that you're you're not your story and you're just um reifying your story those kind of things and you what you are is beyond your story um yes and um i think that in certain meditation states you can do away with your story completely um but when you get up off your meditation cushion and you start interacting with people in the world, you will be using a story. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, whether you're a you know totally enlightened person or whatever. You know, every every human uses a story to interface with the world. And um, if you're going to pretend that you don't have a story, you're not going to be an agent in your life. Um, and you can just be blown around by in the Tibetan uh, in the Buddhist context by karma, um, and you're just a kind of unconsciously acting out all of these things that you have not owned, basically. Um, yeah. But the Without awareness is what. Yeah. I'm sorry. Can you say that again? I just said I added to what you said. Without awareness. You, 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 you are yes. just, you become all these different things, but you aren't, you're totally unaware of it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, then the critique from psych psychology of spiritual practices like meditation would be that you're trying to bypass the pain, you know, of having a story and yeah. all of that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I, I'm always looking for processes or people or, anything that that integrate these together and i and when i think about um tibetan buddhism being uh tantric buddhism that in tibetan buddhism uh this kind of naked awareness which you're referring to here is the aware ego process I, I think might be able to correlate those two um which they call rigpa in tibetan buddhism but then because it's a tantric form of Buddhism, there's a lot of deity practice where you um, become, during meditation practices, different archetypal forms and deity forms. And some of them are really beautiful. Um, I'm thinking mm -hmm. of uh, in Tibetan Buddhism, you've got Chen Rizeg, who's the Tibetan version of Avalokiteshvara, who's the Buddha of compassion very very nice but on the other side you've got um 
is some of these bloodthirsty uh, demon looking deities um, yes. um hevadra and um vajra bhairava and and those are no less part of the pantheon of the buddhas and yourself than the kind of the nice ones um and and it's very much in line with this voice dialogue process that you're describing yes absolutely that struck me when i when we were in tibet um we went in 2012 we went to tibet and obviously saw a lot of temples and the first god archetype and unfortunately i can't remember his name was one of those uh, fierce aggressive ones that you described so there was a really strong warrior type um god protecting the entrance and once you'd passed that one you came into all more in touch with the more different uh, the different archetypes the different gods and goddesses and and that struck me so that that's i felt at home with that because mm. it's exactly the same as we work with archetypes as well all the subpersonality parts are what's the word their roots their foundations go back to what uh, young calls the collective unconscious which is the widest circle of parts that are more collective to all humans and would be represented by buddhist um, different B buddhist um, the ones you've mentioned the buddhist gods and goddesses and and are also represented by deities in in other uh, direct, uh, in other religions or ways of spiritual practices and those are collective in the sense that a warrior or a um, a rational mind or uh, Aphrodite comes to mind, the, the Venus archetype or the, or the Mercury, those are some of the, 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 the Roman or the Greek uh, gods. Those archetypes are, are in the field of the collective unconscious and our personal versions of those are in the, in the, uh, the field of the uh, around us, like a circle of all the, the different parts we have that come into play. Some of them we know, some of them we don't, some of them are in the shadow and haven't been given any airspace. And it's when all those different parts, whether they're disowned or what we call primary, get the airspace and start to be able to speak and explore and you feel the connection into the more archetypal uh, realms, that's when you start to um, get in touch with many more aspects of yourself than you ever thought existed in you. Because yeah. some of the some of the um, restraints unfortunately put there in childhood by the certain ways of upbringing and what was disapproved of and all that sort of psychological stuff those restraints gradually start to melt because we move into parts and then move out of them and then we have the awareness process we see it we witness with maitri with compassion we see ourselves in all in the dance and the play of of uh, <laughs> the circles we go around in and we start to accept and then maybe even love ourselves more and more even those a bit shameful parts that we'd rather not talk about or rather somebody else didn't see we start to show them to pe other people like facilitators or friends and then we suddenly realize that you Ralph or me Trilby, we're just like anybody else we're sort of ordinary people with our ups and downs and our mistakes and our failings but we've also got our beauty inside and all the things we've got to offer 
and all those parts become it's like having a palette as an artist and we've got all the cups all the colors there suddenly it's so wonderful and that's why i've been doing this work since i was when did i first meet voice dialogue that's quite funny that's lovely to say actually it was a misunderstanding I was um, teaching uh, voice liberation at the time. I was working with singing and the human voice and um, anything in that direction that was freeing up. Also, I was working with uh, the Royal Heart Theatre and they, they were saying, your, vi your voice is like a mountain with many caves. Go into all the caves there are. So in the way they were, uh, the Roy Hart Theatre were approaching the human voice, they were already doing voice dialogue, but more with sounds and with singing. So they were bringing up the roar and the ugly sounds, and that was my way of working with voice. And then I saw this leaflet in the theatre school where I was teaching at the time in Utrecht in Holland, and it said voice dialogue. So I thought it was a dialogue with sounds, with singing. So I enthusiastically enrolled, and, and, and the... Um, the funny story about it was that the day before this voice dialogue workshop, which I thought was going to be about sounds and singing, because I hadn't really read it properly, I just picked it up and it, it, it just spoke to me. I thought, I've, I'm going here. And I took a friend with me, we went there. But the evening before I rang the chap who was running the um, workshop because I'd lost my voice. I said, I've lost my voice, I've lost my voice. Uh, um, is there still any point in me coming to the workshop tomorrow? I said to him, and then he started to laugh. He said, do you think it's a voice workshop? No, we're going to, uh, we can work with the part of you that has led you to lose your voice. And so I suddenly realized I was getting into a completely different ball game. And I thought, oh, I'll go anyway. So with this voice a bit like this, I was there at the workshop and um, then started to work with what had led me to lose my voice, which was pushing myself to exhaustion, working too hard, leading too many groups with voice, having choirs. And I just really pushed myself and I hadn't got anything more to say. And I was still trying to work with this voice that wasn't there. So in that first weekend, it was a complete revelation to speak more with the aspects of myself that were leading me to push myself in that way. Because one of the archetypes, especially in the Western world, is the pusher. It's one of, the, one of the parts of us that leads us to burnout and, and illness is that part that won't let us stop. Yeah. In French, it's called the activist, which I like much better, the active part. Mm. But boy, if the active part won't stop, it yeah. can wreak havoc in you. Well, you, you can probably tell me something about that. Well, <laughs> I think I, I definitely I can from a, from a you know, personal level, but also I, I was... Yeah. I was thinking, you know, when I was preparing for this conversation that getting stuck in particular voices and not being able to get out of them is yes. kind of a definition of suffering in this game we're talking about. Which, yes. which interestingly, in, in Buddhism, the word dukkha, one of the translate ways you can translate that is getting stuck in, this, in the way that a, a wheel on a cart get stuck and can't turn and this kind of free flowing between different perspectives is kind of one might that's one definition of liberation or freedom or or um you know a good a, a good life or something i mean <laughs> you know happiness or uh yes. um and what um i was thinking is that 
not only do people get stuck in particular voices, but entire societies can too. And uh, when you're talking about the, the kind of the pusher, I was thinking about in Japan, they actually have a word. I can't remember what the word is, but they have a word for working yourself to death. Um, yes, actually, I remember that. I can't yeah, remember the word either. Yeah. And, you know, you, in a way you could say there's, the pusher is a kind of primary self of the Japanese society yeah. or something, you know, and, and uh, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's, you know, one thing we can get into is that each of these perspectives or voices have strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, the sort of strengths of uh, that Japanese um, tendency towards perfection and hard work has meant that their economy is enormous, even though they're a tiny country. Um, but the downside is, is, I mean, I remember watching a documentary on it a few years ago of, of these men that were working for you know, different companies who literally, they'd just given up. Their, their, their will to live through just working too hard, you know. Um, so that's the kind of the downside of it. And I mean, perhaps that's something that you you could address is feeling into, you know, the unique strengths and weaknesses of each of these these voices as we go into them. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, all the all the parts of us have have a quality, and um, um, we call it a deformation. Uh, so, I mean, that would be the same with the warrior part in you. It will allow you to um, stand up and say yes or no about what you want in life or don't want in life. And, and the yes would lead you to really to, do, to, to fight, to get what you want. And that might be the positive aspect of the warrior engine yourself. And the negative one could be the, um, um, well, what we talked about in the beginning of this um, conversation. Brutality. Exactly. Uh, so, and and, and every, every energy has that. So if we're talking about this active part, this is why I like the, the French name for the pusher, because they call it l'activiste, which means the active one. It's not even the activist as in the political activist. It's the active one in us. And that is a natural thing. You know, do you know the feeling when you've had a good night's sleep and you wake up and you don't have to hurry and suddenly you start to potter around and get all these things done that you've had on your list and they they um, have been waiting there to be done. But instead of pushing yourself to do it, there's a natural activeness inside you that's thinking, oh, I want to do that now. I'm going to write that card to that person. I'm going to uh, tidy that cupboard or whatever it is. This is me. These are my examples, but it could also be outside doing something in the garden, whatever. Um, and I'm doing it because I enjoy being active. Being active is a lovely thing. And that's the pure quality of that particular energy or part of us. But it gets deformed when it becomes Well, you were talking about the Japanese um, uh, uh, example. I mean, I think in our society, it also is is a deformation when people work when they're absolutely exhausted or these um, couriers that have to work when they're sick because they don't get sick pay and mm. if they're off for too many days then they get fired I don't know if you read about that you know that was a big scandal a few years ago yeah. so people actually having to work when they're ill that's a deformation of of being active that's yeah. that's forcing yep. yourself against 
your whole body, your body is saying no and you're having to do yes that's when it becomes um you're, you're calling it a a, a, de a deformation not not defamation deforming yeah oh sorry I mean, it's probably right? my dutch and english confusion a deformation I, yes it's something that's deformed yeah it's not it's not it's the uh, it's de a deformed version of of a pure quality yeah okay so if you're an artist and one of the big strengths in you is that you can perform as an actor that would be your quality but if you're doing that all the time at home and in the family and when you're at a party and all over the place so everyone's thinking oh my god ralph's coming to that party again he's going to be up there taking the stage and stealing the show and everyone's got to listen to him that would be like I'm, I'm, sorry i don't mean you're actually like mm, i'm taking yeah, yeah. you as an example uh, that would be a deformed version of that beautiful quality of being this performer it would yeah. mean you were so addicted to performing that you had to perform all the time and people will get really fed up with you yeah. <laughs> is that yeah. A, yeah i think that's a clear example but it's all of these ones it's like being the one who does the household tasks and if you get into that and you can't stop and you're the you're sort of on your own doing it and uh, then in the end you're going to feel oppressed and also unhappy because it's you every time taking out the rubbish or doing whatever it is and you can't you can't just think, do you know what? I'm not going to do that today. Let the rubbish spill over. Somebody else can do it. I'm going to read a book. Because you've become this sort of over-the-top yeah. coping household person. Um, well, I wanted to say uh, about this sort of special opportunity, a facilitated session offers mm -hmm. that... Yeah. It, it, I don't know if you've ever watched Star Trek, but they have this thing on their spaceship called the holodeck. And it's kind of like a virtual reality thing that you go into. Yeah. And you basically you're in another you're in a world that doesn't it's not the real, you know, it doesn't no one's going to get killed in it. You know, you, you can learn co you can learn combat in there without actually killing anybody. You're just, mm -hmm. you know, doing it in this virtual space. So, you know, people would worry and i remember when i first got into this work i i worried that oh well what you know if peter or trilby are going to you know uh, uh, we're going to do this session and what if i go into a voice that scares me you know um you know some of the let's say um so i remember i did a session with with peter where he asked uh, we what we i ended up speaking as the terrorist mm, um that's right yeah and um but so it's like the holodeck in that the, the, there's this safe container built around these facilitated sessions where you can playfully and deep and really deeply explore these different personalities that make up who we are um and it's like you that you it's the training ground it's the dojo or the or the kind of um it's the training ground where you can explore this stuff um and it's not like if you were to say well i'm not going to do facilitator sessions i'm just going to go out into the world and try and inhabit these inhabit these perspectives 
you would, would yeah you'd you'd break you would break stuff um because and you'd be ham-fisted you uh so it's, it's like you if you want to learn an instrument you do lessons with somebody and you explore that art form during lessons with a a, a teacher and people who want to do that with you in a band or whatever you don't you don't book your first gig you know bef before you've learned to play a scale um i mean it's, it's a little bit of a forced analogy here but um so that there's something very special about the container of doing this work that means that you really get the opportunity to explore you know um we're, we're kind of going a bit down onto all the dark side stuff but you know we'll we'll get to the golden shadow perhaps in a, in a bit but you know the the pervert the murderer the terrorists there's no limit to how deep you can go into this but you can it's safe to do that um and it's interesting yeah. you're saying this, ralph because actually in my whole long experience and i've been doing this work since 1989-1990 i haven't actually worked with a few of those extreme examples that you've given me it very rarely happens that people go to, to that depth of, of extremity because what I, I think the reason why i bring it up is that people yeah. would worry about it i remember as it just recently i watched a documentary on a guy who had ocd and he was a lot of it was based around he was worried he was a paedophile but he wasn't but you know it was the his entire life revolved around about that they're the type of what really triggering voices that people think well how i can't safely access some of these voices or the perspectives inside myself um because i'd be a danger to other people that's what i what i'm trying to get at yeah that's what you're saying and this is the the um, this is the, the metaphor you're giving of this place in this I haven't actually watched Star Trek but the 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 deck you're describing has it has a special sort of protected different energy and this is a place this is what a voice dialogue session is like and what you've got in a voice dialogue session is that the facilitator uh, will be sure to make sure that what we call your primary self system which means the set of protective parts, which could be um, the, the pusher, the perfectionist, the inner critic is another part that helps to protect you. Um, the, one that, the, the ones that obey the rules and they've come into being to keep you safe. And in the beginning of the work, Helen Studio used to new, uh, call them the protector controller. And that, that was a sort of cluster of different what they call primary selves. And those parts need to be honored and spoken to. And um, one of the golden rules in voice dialogue as a facilitator, when we're teaching people to facilitate is that if you meet somebody for the first time or the second or even the third time, make sure that you allow these primary parts to speak because you can't bypass a whole set of, yeah, in Freudian terms, these are the defense mechanisms. You can't bypass them. You need to honor them. And this is the wonderful thing about voice dialogue. All parts of us are honored in an equal way. There's, a, I mean, of course, as a facilitator, you have a secret 
preference of, uh, uh, of a part of a person they're working with than another part. That's there, but that's your personal preference. But in the whole context of the way we work, everything is accepted equally. And the primary parts need to be on board with any change or transformational process that's going on. Because we call this transformational work. We're transforming as, as we get to know these parts, as things inside ourselves starts to shift. It happens in quite a safe way in this special protected space, which is represented by the session and the whole ritual of the session, which is that you get to know each other in the middle position, the uh, ego position, we call it. And then you move to a subpersonality. Now there are quite strict rules about when you move into a part. Um, if, for instance, I'm giving you a session and you've moved into a, a child part or maybe one of your protector parts and the postman comes and I have to answer the door, I'd facilitate it. It shouldn't happen, but it can happen, okay? I will always ask you to move back to the middle. I will never leave you in um, one of those parts because in what how we were trained, we were told, and I think it's true, it's an altered state of con consciousness because if you, Ralph, are in your inner critic or in an aspect of your inner child or if you're in an aspect of your warrior, you're not actually the normal daily life, Ralph. And if I'm in one of those, I'm not the normal daily life Trilby who walks out of the door and talks to the postman. So I need to make sure that you come back into the middle so that you can feel the child next to you or the warrior and yet you're back to being... I'm the guy who got up this morning and is going to bed this evening and, and I'm going to have my dinner at seven o'clock. You know, I, I know who I am. This is my, my persona. So it is a very special thing that happens in a session. You're quite right. And it's protected. We protect it vehemently. So if I'm in a training group and I'm giving a... Um, vehemently, what a lovely word. Uh, I'm giving a session and there's a few people observing. If one of them starts to behave in, in, uh, inappropriately, says something or is not concentrating, I will make sure that person either leaves the room or focuses on what's happening in, in the session that they're observing. Because it is an altered state of consciousness. The whole yeah. thing is working with something that is vulnerable. It's very vulnerable when my protective voices have told me my whole life, you've got to be a good girl and please people. And suddenly I'm in this raging part who doesn't want to be nice. That's a vulnerable thing to happen because all my protecting parts are thinking, oh my God, this isn't safe. This isn't safe. When is this going to end? They've got to be on it as well. Mm. I, I think um, when... I think you one learns through going into, let's say, um, well, I don't know, uh, like rage or something like that, and you're worried. Mm. You're worried about that because you're like, oh, if I touch that rage, it's it's going to consume me, and it might consume the other people in my life. But then, what what one understands, and this is how the, a facilitator can help you, is you understand you learn to recognize that there are other constraining voices around so you know as, as well as having rage as a sub-personality within ourselves we've also got um you know the pacifist or the gentleman or, or you know it's, it, there are um 
other voices which you know constraining is probably not the right word but the kind of ecosystem of voices that we have inside ourselves has some kind of harmony to it and i think that's one of the things that so you know for people listening this i'm kind of just zeroing in on this point just for the moment that people might worry about i'm thinking in in the old days i would have called it demon possession or something becoming becoming possessed by some negative traits um which i feel might become all consuming but then once you through doing this work repeatedly um learn that you actually have the freedom to move around the entire ecosystem you actually understand that there are all sorts of voices that work together in a, in this harmony um so you know that the, the the safety doesn't also that doesn't only come from the container of doing the work and the facilitator session the safety there is safety inside yourself too that's created yes, that's, by all of the balancing of the voices yes. oh the, if i didn't make that clear then 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 I'll, I'll add on to what i said just now the safety is in yourself those defense mechanisms all those protective me mechanisms which have taking you safely through childhood and taking you into adulthood have their advantages because they are keeping you intact. And yet to find the more space inside yourself, you'll need to let go of some of their um, rules and ways of thinking. Yeah. Because if, if you've been taught to be polite, to speak politely and never raise your voice, as I was as a child, then a part of me that's angry w wouldn't get a, a look in or a part of me that was maybe upset and distressed wouldn't get a look in or a spontaneous part that didn't want to be polite and just wanted to do my own thing and walk away <laughs> walk away when uncle rowan came instead of having to be nice to him i didn't like uncle rowan i would have just walked away into the garden but i had to stay and talk to uncle rowan you know? mm. And those, those, those protective mechanisms are there in the person and the facilitator honors that, but, but by, by asking you to let go, to what, go into the protective mechanism, move back out of it, realize it's there, disidentify, and then take some space in this sort of sacred crucible that we're working in together to find out what's going on there. And very often we don't even know what it is. It's more a sense, a body sense of something because we've never experienced it before. So it's, it's really exciting. It's, it's, it is a journey, a journey of the soul. That's how I, I've experienced it. Yeah. And yeah. And just uh, to tie it in with this image of the Tibetan temple and this kind of protector at the front of the temple you described in this kind yes. of fierce protector um yes. the tent the temple we might say is the kind of in the inside of us you know this ecosystem of sub of personalities of voices inside ourselves and the protectors are at the front and one of the things i i love about this voice dialogue work is that you politely and respectfully ask basically you're asking the protectors inside the person you're facilitating if it's okay uh, to be let into the temple to address some of the other, um, yeah. you know, more vulnerable parts uh, inside there. And what the reason why I think that's 
really fantastic uh, for people who are into spiritual practice is that a lot of the spiritual traditions that have come from the, the West and the East have a kind of ego personality destroying vibe mm. and it's like you've got to kill you have to kill your ego to get beyond it or um yes. you know and you have all these images of well i mean it's even shown in the art and that but of sort of killing the ego and and this is a this is a, a very different way of doing it which is kind of well <laughs> polite sounds a really uh anemic word but... gentle. maybe gentle Mm. would be a good word it's gentler it's a gentler way of doing that because we are letting go of quite a lot of our ego identifications mm. and in in that process of doing that year in year out there's so much transformation going on and yet in the Jungian sense there is a self there's a trilby there's a Ralph and that is the being, I call it my trilbiness. Uh, if people ask about the self, and ask about what you're saying, and letting go of ego altogether, I say, yes, letting go of attachment to certain ways of being is letting go of ego. But there is a, a trilby, a trilbiness in the, in me that's unique and irreplaceable. Nobody else has ever been this Trilby who was born in 1948 and whatever. I'm not going to tell my whole story. Mm. And at one point I'm going to die. And then you're going to say to me, maybe you're going to come back and reincarnate. And I'm going to say, maybe I am, maybe I aren't. Who knows? But that particular being has never been here before and will yeah. never come again. And that's the unicity, right? And within the confines of that, that I am, who I am, I can really help myself and help other people in the work I do to let go to quite a large extent of ego, i.e. of identification with wanting and needing things to be a certain way, or if we've worked around a topic, actively choosing for things to be that way, but that's a completely different ball game that getting them getting identified with ego and it's got to be like that I, 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 it's just such a subtle difference but it has all has to do with this awareness which is the meditative state yeah. that's a part of the process but maybe the last thing we might explore in this part one is um the difference between disidentification and disowning so disidentification yes. is a kind yeah. of is a, is, a, is, a, is a move of freedom, uh, whereas disowning is not actually a move of, of, of being free. I, I can explain that very easily. Yeah. It, it's it's um, in the terminology of voice dialogue, it's very clear. A disowned self is the part of yourself that is in the shadow, you don't know it. So for instance, I'm taking my example, it's the easiest because I know myself quite well. When I started, any sort of consciousness work, um, psychological work, I was identified with being good and pleasant and pleasing and helpful. And what was disowned in me was um, being allowed to put my own needs first. And in the shadow, I had quite a strong, rather narcissistic part who did that anyway, but I wasn't aware of that. What I was aware of was that if you, Ralph, asked 
me something that I should give you what you wanted and I should make sure you got your cup of tea and whatever you needed and serve you and then I would go and do whatever I needed to do that was the way I was brought up to be a good girl and be think of others okay so that's my identification the disowned side was a strong part of my personality which was actually thinks I, I don't really care whether he's got a cup of tea I want to go off and write that poem right so choosing what I want wasn't allowed in our family you had to put others first so that way of, of being became my identification and the doing what I wanted to do myself became the disowned part when you Ralph give me let's turn the roles around and you're facilitating me and you're saying okay let's move into that good girl and I'm going into good girl and I'm getting really boring and telling you how all about all the rules about, about how good I have to be and you talk to me for a while and you listen and then you ask me to move back to the middle which is the aware ego process a process of disidentification is starting to happen because you've helped me be in that good girl be her completely and as I come back to the middle I'm not that color anymore something's changing in me I'm disidentifying you might have to work with me as my facilitator 20 times with all those rules, rules about pleasing and being good and serving others and thinking of others and um, not asking for the extra bit of cake and all the things you know and then very gradually, I will be imbuing this awareness and realizing that I don't have to be that good girl. So I will be disidentifying from her, which will make space for the disowned part on the other side. So the disowned part is the polarity to that primary self, the one we're identifying. And the more we disidentify from that very well-known primary side, the more space there can be for me saying to you, Ralph, you know where to find the tea. I've just got to go off this afternoon because I've got to, um, I've got something to do that I really want to do for myself. I'm going out into the woods with my book and I'm going to write some poems. And it's great if I drop by, I'll see you later. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the dream example, but you see what I'm saying. Mm. Yeah, that's brilliant. That, does, does that clarify the difference between those words? Yes, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it's great. That's, that's really, really helpful. Yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah, we're just gonna we're gonna have to finish there, and we'll be yes. in, in a in a part two. And thank you so much, Trilby. Uh, yes. I, I really appreciate that um, you, you talking. Yes. Um, yes. Just it, if people want to find out more about your work, where would they go? We've got a website called Transforming Dialogue, and I, I'll put a link to that. It, I'll put a link yes. to that in the show notes. Yes, that was yeah. that's fine. You can do that. Cool. I made all the music that I use in my podcasts. If you'd like to hear more of my music, please visit SoundCloud and check out my profile, Ralph Cree.